So we're in this series. We're almost done with it, actually. Two weeks left, including this one, I think. And the series is on practices that transform your heart. And this process of heart transformation, quite honestly, begins when you grant the Spirit of God access to your heart, to your inmost being, the source of everything that you do. You have received the Spirit of God, but we sometimes have a tendency to crowd the Spirit of God out of certain parts, right? Like, ooh, don't go there, that hurts too much, or ooh, don't go there because I don't want to have to change that, I kind of like that, Um, (laughs) right? No, you guys don't do that, of course not. Yeah, we do. Have you ever heard the phrase before that prayer is dangerous? Because we ask God for things when we pray, and sometimes we are afraid because we kind of get that it's dangerous. <laughs> when we surrender ourselves to Jesus and say, change me. <laughs> Except for... <sighs> yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. But we, we begin this process of transformation as we grant God access to our inmost being. As we grant access to the part of us where things seem to emanate. You know, and, and this is a, a thing that God absolutely wants to do. He wants to conform you. He wants to mold you and shape you. He wants you to be like his son, Jesus. He wants you to reflect his character. He wants you to live like him. He wants you to love like him. He wants you to serve like him. He wants you to think like him. He wants you to put on the mind of Christ. Salvation includes that transformation Entering into it right here, right now, is entering into God having his way with how you think, how you act, what you do. God's kingdom is beautiful. God's kingdom that's right here, right now, is beautiful. It's of great value. We we shouldn't be afraid to give up anything, to receive it, to enter it, to live into it. Of course, when it comes to all this transformation stuff, we have to practice it. We have to be attentive to it. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to start focusing on the million things that are going on in the world around us every day and not intentionally grant God access and participate with it. Of course, then that's what this message is all about, is Practices that transform us. Things that we can give ourselves to that will change us. That will conform us to the likeness of Jesus. Today we're going to talk about the practice of simplicity. So I have prepared a particularly complicated message. (laughs) Come on, that was funny. (laughs) Thank you, my wife. I love you. (laughs) I want to read for us from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 34. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crop. 
Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you have little faith? Do not set your hearts on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the, pagans, the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I wonder, what, what is the situation going on that Jesus is approached by this guy who has a brother? Like, why is it that he's asking Jesus? What's going on exactly in his context, in his life, that he's asking Jesus to settle this apparent dispute between he and his brother about inheritance? I mean, most people don't get their inheritance, especially in this context, until their father is dead. Now, we know of the parable of the prodigal son who did get his inheritance before his father was dead, which importantly means he wishes his father was dead. That hurts a little bit, doesn't it? That could be what's going on here. Could be. It could be just that my, me and my brother, I want him to scheme with me and wish my dad was dead so we can go after the inheritance. It could be. We don't know. But that could be the context. They wish they, their father was dead. It could be that he is dead. And maybe he's not the eldest son. Maybe he's just really desperately wanting a little piece of whatever it is he's going to get because the eldest son got the bulk. So maybe he's just, maybe his, maybe his older brother isn't very just and isn't very nice and he's just wanting his fair share of what's due him. Maybe he's the older brother. Maybe he's the older brother and he's trying to be nice. And he's just, his little brother is demanding too much. Whatever the situation is, Jesus seems to have an insight into his life. Where his heart is. He's so hung up. 
so singularly focused on getting his fair share of his father's inheritance, on possessions, that he can't think to ask Jesus, Jesus, about anything other than to intervene in a dispute with his brother over those possessions. Like, seriously? Jesus is the one who heals people, who transforms lives, who touches lepers and cleanses them. Jesus is the one that instills immense hope in people. And this guy just wants to figure out, give me my stuff. (laughs) That's the best he can come up with. He's singularly focused on his possessions. All the things to ask Jesus about. Jesus responds, who appointed appointed me to be arbiter or judge between you and your brother? In other words, why do you come to me? Why do you come to me just to settle a dispute? Why do you come to me to decide who gets what? Do you think that that's why I'm here? To decide how to, to divide your earthly inheritance? Jesus goes on. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed and covetousness. He says life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Watch out. Guard yourself. Jesus knows. And he's, he's speaking to his disciples. He says, watch out for this, this desire that we have deep inside of us. Watch out that, that we don't go down that road, that we don't start thinking that the good life is found in just amassing a lot of stuff. Jesus knows we're so susceptible to missing where life is actually found. We, we covet. We covet stuff because we think for some strange reason that our lives will be enhanced if we just have a lot of stuff. Specifically, stuff that other people have, right? It's the whole idea of covetedness. Oh, I, I like your car. Why don't you go around the corners and leave the keys in and I'll steal it. Or I'll singularly focus my heart on amassing enough wealth to buy that same car. It's like an internal battle between our sinful nature and the Holy Spirit-guided nature. Because there's a part of us that knows that that isn't really where life is found. It does amaze me, though, how no one cares about something if they have it until somebody else displays interest in it. (laughs) Then everyone is clamoring for it, even killing people for it, literally. And figuratively. Have you ever watched American Pickers? You watch that show? Yeah? It's this show where these two guys travel around the country and they rummage through people's amassed junk. And then they look for treasures within that amassed junk. Oh, it's a great show. You gotta, people got a lot of stuff, I'll tell you what, man. Whew. Like, man, I'll tell you. In that show, what they, what they discover is that There are things that somebody else had no idea had any value to it whatsoever. And in many ways, some people would probably just want a dollar or two for it. But as soon as they 
say something about how wanted that thing is, guess what happens? The price goes up. All of a sudden now, I, well, I want to keep that. I was going to think about just giving it to you real cheap, but now that I know a whole bunch of other people want it, they think it's cool. It must be a pretty awesome thing and worth a ton of money. Matter of fact, I might not sell it to you at all. Until, of course, the American pickers travel around the country and find 500 of them in one spot, and then all of a sudden what happens? The price tanks. Because everybody has it, so who wants it? Right? If we could only allow the words to win out when we are entering into situations like that, that life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. If we could only learn to live that, if we could only learn to embrace that and to recognize that, maybe we could become an extremely generous people. Maybe instead of coveting what somebody else has, maybe we should just appreciate that they have it. Maybe if we, as we start to experience those feelings of want, that we could be instantly reminded, even once we get it, life isn't going to be enhanced. It's not going to be a million times better. It's not going to fulfill all the promises that our marketing and advertising tells us. You buy that new phone, and it lasts for like, the, 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 the joy of having it last for like six weeks, six days, six hours. Sometimes after six hours, you realize you have to pay for it. <coughs> six days later, you found out that there's a new one coming out. Six weeks later, it's broken. Six minutes later, you remember you still have to pay for it. <laughs> Life is not found in the abundance of possessions. More stuff does not equal a better life. A better life is actually found in giving away your abundance. We live in a culture of discontentment that plays on the want that we see both in that brother and in the farmer in the parable, the farmer who is already rich, who has a bumper crop, who apparently doesn't even enter into his mind that, oh my goodness, I have a huge bumper crop. I could give all of this excess grain to people that need it. No, what does he think? He thinks like we think. Oh my goodness, I need bigger storerooms. Let's tear down those barns and build some bigger ones, and then I can whoo, just sit back and crack open a cold one and just watch the world go by. My goodness, what? Oh, that would be the good life. Jesus says, no way. No way. Seriously? This very night, your life is going to be demanded of you. Then who's going to get all this stuff? You could have blessed people with it. You could have fed people with it. You could have cared about people, cared for people with it. But you chose instead to just hoard it, store it up. He wasn't content with enough. He wasn't even content with an abundance. He already had storerooms. He wanted a super abundance. He wanted a massive abundance. Well, he didn't have to do anything. He wasn't satisfied with just what God 
provided for him on a daily basis. He wanted more, and he wanted it for himself. We live in this culture. We live in a culture that says to us, more stuff equals a better life. And it makes living according to Jesus' way it's super hard to live out. The world wants to create discontentment. I mean, I'm quite, I'm quite honestly, in many ways, for a free market economy, but we are constantly in this economy marketed to, with a goal to make you into a habitual consumer by ongoingly creating serious discontentment with what you currently have. Even though, as I already mentioned with the phone situation, you might have just acquired what you had last week. But you got to make a consumer out of people, right? you got to keep that turnover going. So you have to create situations where people aren't satisfied with what they have. They're not satisfied with their car. They're not satisfied with their house. They're not satisfied with their television. They're not satisfied with their VCR. <laughs> VCR? Come on, people. <laughs> <laughs> you should, see, you're content with your VCR. Thank you, somebody. I was waiting. All right. <laughs> well, you guys aren't very good consumers. Come on, people. <laughs> it's not surprising that it's been discovered by, by marketing agents that the easiest way, the easiest way to breed discontentment is to play on worry and fear. It's a way to do actually a lot of things. <laughs> not good things, play on people's worry and fear. You can start whole political campaigns by... <laughs> I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Praying on worry and fear with things that are so sacred, like your identity. You've probably seen ads before that make you feel like maybe you aren't all that that you aren't so great, that you aren't so wonderful because you don't have the latest, the newest, and the best. That create feelings inside yourself to think that maybe you'll be looked down on, maybe you'll be ridiculed. I'm most concerned with the way that our young people are so influenced by that kind of thinking. You don't have the latest clothes, the latest jeans, the latest shoes. Maybe some of you have experienced that in your life. You be laughed at and mocked. Parents are preyed on concerning that. Oh, I got to get my kid the latest and the greatest because I don't want him to be bullied or her to be bullied. Or worry and fear just with experiencing life to the fullest. I mean, I can't tell you how many people that I talk with that really think that they can't because of their level of income or poverty experience good life. That they have to have the latest and newest and the best to really engage a meaningful life. Or creating worry and fear concerning people's future. You know Jesus in his prayer that he teaches his disciples deals with our future, when he says, and lead us, teaching his disciples to pray to 
our Heavenly Father, and lead us not into temptation. Lead us. We, we, we long for it. Want it. We need to be led. Even the, the greatest leaders need to be led. The greatest leaders are those who are following the footsteps of Jesus. We all need to be led. We need hope for a future. Our culture markets to us the idea that if you don't have an abundance of stuff, or actually, let's put it this way, storehouses full of money, that you will not have enough, maybe even for tomorrow. That you need to singularly focus yourself on amassing the largest bank account you possibly can in order for your future to be secure. And if you can't, my goodness, you better panic because your number isn't high enough, right? Hmm. It amazes me that things have not changed in the human experience because this is exactly what Jesus addresses. Worry and fear. When it comes to allowing our lives to be lived simply and not being singularly minded on amassing great wealth, even then, it's about fear and about worry. Jesus says, do not worry about your life what you will eat, or your body, what you will wear. There's a message that our young people need to hear. Don't worry about what you will wear. I am with you. He mentions, if you're interested in the terminology of what he does in the next number of verses, it's call Wahomer. If this is true, how much more is that true? If it's true that God takes care of the ravens who are worth hardly anything, how much more will he take care of you? Lilies of the field. The fields are clothed in splendor. You ever look at a a field full of wildflowers? My goodness gracious, it's gorgeous. We used to, at the RV park out in Rochester, scatter the ditch with mixed flower seed. And it would just bloom. And some of them are still there. There's these yellow, orangish ones that just seem to be survivors because it's been probably 10 years since we've done that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. God is doing that. I know that we have all kinds of scientific explanations to how things happen that seem to put us in the driver's seat and in control. But it's God that's doing that. If he can clothe fields with such beauty, he certainly can clothe you and you can trust him to do it. It's a meager life that's consumed by worry. It's really not hard to see that an abundant life, abundant in the sense of peace and joy, is not one that chases after clothes and how you're going to clothe yourself and food and how you're going to feed yourself, because that just brings worry. 
Jesus also in verse 32 says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's okay. Why do people amass large quantities of money besides just flat out greed? They amass large quantities of money because they are afraid. Because they are afraid of tomorrow. They're afraid of what's going to happen in my life. Am I going to get old and miserable and stuck in an old folks home someplace with nobody to ever visit me or care about me or love me or anything? I need to make sure that I have myself taken care of because I'm afraid that nobody's going to take care of me. Jesus says, don't be afraid. He says, you will have an inheritance. I think he's speaking right to that brother right now. He's like, dude, don't get yourself so singularly minded on getting your dad's money, on where you're going to go with that stuff. Don't do that. Don't be afraid. Don't be led by fear. Your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Wow. We're not just talking about our daddy on earth's wealth, if he has any. We're talking about inheriting a whole kingdom. Only the deal is, is we have to be patient. We have to wait for it. It's a future kingdom in which we experience all of that. It's a kingdom that's broken in right here, right now. But God has our future in the palm of his hands. We don't need to worry. You are free to give whatever you have to those in need without fear of ending up with nothing. Just as it's hard, sorry, just as it is not hard to see that an abundant life in God is not found in chasing after earthly possessions, it is also not hard to see that it is not found in amassing them. Man, when you have a lot of stuff, you just got a lot of stuff to worry about. Worry about who's going to inherit it. Who, worry about taking care of it, right? Wow. I used to have a whole lot of cars. That's a whole lot of, a whole lot of maintenance on cars. A whole lot of worrying about somebody scratching it, denting it, whether or not it's going to burn up in a garage if it catches on fire. Worrying about whether or not I could afford to pay the insurance on all of it. Worrying about whether or not I could drive them because they would, none of them got good gas mileage. It's just a lot of worry that comes with a lot of stuff. It's really not hard to see that a lot of stuff doesn't equal a lot of happiness. So why do we live like that? It's crazy. It's nuts. It does not lead to anything life-giving. But seeking first. The kingdom of God, on the other hand. There's an abundant life. A truly abundant life is one that seeks first the kingdom of God. You may be asking, as I would be if I were you, when is this going to get over? No, that's not what I'd be asking. <laughs> what does that mean? What does it mean, seek first the kingdom of God? Okay, that's a really nice Christian cliche thing to throw out there, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and all this will be handed to you. It'll be whatever, right? Yeah. Our culture is like fed up with those kind of answers. What does that mean? It means not having to worry because you know your identity is, is secure. It means that somebody can't tell you who you are based on what you have. You get to say, yeah, whatever, buddy. I'm a child of God and I have an inheritance waiting from the, for me of his in the kingdom of God. You can't tell me who I am 
because I know who I am. I'm going to seek the kingdom's definition of who I am, the kingdom of God's definition of who I am, not what the kingdoms of this world are trying to market to me concerning who I am, because that is a constantly moving target that you will never be able to hit. It means freedom from chasing after things and hoarding things. It means that you find yourself in a context of knowing your future is secure, so you become free to give because we can trust in the one who is providing for us. We can give today whatever excess we have to our neighbor because we know tomorrow, even if we're left today with nothing, God will provide for us tomorrow. I know that this is totally crazy talk, but this is what Jesus is talking about. Seeking first the kingdom of God. does not say, how can I scheme to get what I want, but rather, how can I seek to give to those in need? Imagine, for just a minute, if you will, imagine that we, we all did this, that we all lived this, that we all gave of our possessions freely instead of hoarding out of worry and fear. Imagine how we would all be provided for. Imagine if you could give when you're young, not having to worry about when you get old because you know that there will be people to take care of you to not just leave you in a nursing home someplace to go cuckoo. Er. (laughs) Imagine the peace that would come if we really trusted that. Imagine the joy that would come if we were really truly free to just bless people out of whatever we had. I know, this is crazy. Cole, you're way too idealistic. You're crazy. This sounds like socialism or something to me. Yeah, you're right. Jesus' vision is totally ridiculous. It's nuts. It's crazy. It's as if he actually believes there's a heavenly father that's going to care about us. It's actually, it's actually as if he thinks that God, his father, does give a rip about what goes on in his creation. It's crazy. It's crazy. Let's get real, right? If we got rid of all these consumers in the world, the economy would just crash. And we can't really trust God. Seriously. Those are the kind of responses that I get from people I talk with. We can't really do this. Jesus' vision is just too crazy. Yeah, no, he just came and died for my sin. He doesn't want me to do anything different here and now. He doesn't want me to live my life any different way than I want to live it. I mean, he's some future thing that doesn't have anything to do with right now, and I'm just going to keep on doing my thing and amassing my wealth and counting myself as blessed over and against those who don't have. We can do this. It's crazy. It's nuts. But I see it happening around here, quite honestly, all the time. I see people giving out of what they don't have and God blessing people with it. I get to experience it with just what money comes to this congregation. We don't have a lot. We don't have a lot at all in comparison to most churches. But it's quite profound that people are sent to us, even for financial reasons, all the time. I don't know if you read it or not, but... Yeah, Darren's shaking his head. He knows it. He's here, all, he's here oftentimes during the week now. It's crazy. 
we had a call from somebody in CPS, just, this is just one example, just last week, just Friday, yesterday, right? Yeah, yesterday. Somebody from CPS called Holly and said, hey, do you guys have any money that you can help out with a foster family that is lacking enough money to buy the prescription drugs for their foster daughter? Holly calls me and I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like, I, well, yeah. I mean, I, I know, right? We, <laughs> I see wrinkled brows, like that's crazy. You would think that our government would have an abundance of money enough that all the tax money that we send, that they would be able to pay that, right? But they don't. So they send people to us, this tiny little church. This happens all the time. Can we help? Yeah, we can help. So we do. It's amazing what happens. Like I had no idea. The, the gal who received this money posted on Facebook, and I reposted it on Gather's page, and I don't always do that, but... Um, but uh, you know, she just talks about how humbled she was to come to gather and receive the money that she needed for the sake of her, her foster daughter that she's had for a month that needs this prescription and otherwise wouldn't be able to fill it. We don't have a lot, but we just constantly trust that God is going to provide for our needs. Because what's the point of all of this if we don't? What's that? I said, don't we always have enough. We always have enough. We always have enough. You know, we have never not been able to pay a bill. <coughs> never. I could go on and share story after story, and maybe I should. There are some, there's a time. I'll share one more. This was pretty early on in Gather's life. Some people that I've known for years come to me and say, we're short on our rent. I'm like, how much is it? 700 bucks. We've got like $712 in our checking account, and our rent was due like four days later. And I'm like, I won't, you know, I mean, I'm trying to be frugal with our money and prayerful and like, it's not always a yes, so don't hear me just saying we're just like fly, doling out money. Can I line up? I line up. <laughs> it's not that. There are people that, that get a no, but we're prayerful. And if God is saying yes, we do it. He was saying yes, strongly and intently saying yes, provide. Don't store up all this money of <laughs> $712. Give it to him. I'm like, okay. I give him the 700 bucks, get $12 in the account. It's open. Not overdrafted. <laughs> Barely. I'm not joking. The next day, I go to the post office box. Open up the door. Pull out a wad of bills. A check for $1,000 from a friend of mine who I hardly really know. I call him a friend because he sends us money. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a crazy story. I'll tell you that story later. Childhood friend of mine who's a neighbor, he sends us a check for $1,000. It was in that before probably I even wrote that check. God knew that this need was going to be presenting itself. He put it on my heart, on our heart, to give that money. It was covered. It was taken care of. We had not only enough to cover the rent, but $300 more than we had before. God knows. He provides. And I know this is nuts, but he does. He does. We see it in so many ways around here. But this is... This is the thing. So we're seeking to do this simple. We're not trying to get extravagant and blown out of proportion and crazy with all kinds of nutso stuff, spending money on things that we don't need. We're trying to be frugal. We're trying to be simple. We're trying to do church simple. There's a really great book called Simple Church. Read it. It talks about this kind of stuff. We, we need to be simple. We need to be simple. All right. So maybe with some of this stuff, I jumped in a little bit too deep. Maybe we need to start 
this life of simplicity and generosity just more simply. So, here are some simple, yet not easy practices to get you started. And for this closing section, I'm highly indebted to Richard Foster, who is an author, pastor, and theologian who writes some great stuff. Um, The Celebration of Discipline is one of the books that he wrote, and he wrote it quite a number of years ago. I think it was in the 70s, if I remember right. You remember me? 78? Five? Yeah. So, but it holds so true today. You got to fast forward a few of the things that he has to say into contemporary contexts and situations, but nonetheless, um, he is so spot on with, with what he has to say. These are some of the suggestions he has for how to start living a life that's simple. I don't know if you want to write these down or I can send them to you later or you could just buy the book and at least read that chapter. When you're buying things, this is really simple. Buy things for their usefulness rather than their status. Buy things for their usefulness, not usefulness, usefulness rather than their status. Ask yourself, do I really need that model? Or is this other thing more as equally useful? Or is there maybe no use to this thing at all? Do I really need Ginsu knives? <laughs> Do my clothes need to cost that much? Do I really need to buy $150 jeans? Or can I write? Exactly, right? I, there's somebody in this congregation who I'll leave unnamed who is a bit of a Luddite, which means he doesn't necessarily like technology, which is really funny about because if you know him. But anyway, I'm, I, ad, I admire that uh, that he has a very simple phone um, instead of a highly complicated iPhone six like <clears throat> I have. <laughs> so another thing you can do. This is a tough one. Reject anything that is producing an addiction in you. Yeah, right? A simple, I know, yeah? I know, absolutely. You at least need to learn to set it aside and find out whether or not you can set it aside. Because an addicted life is not a simple life. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah. (laughs) You lose control. You actually... When you're addicted to something, and it could be coffee, it could be chocolate, it could be sex, it could be rock and roll, it could be methamphetamine, it could be whatever, you lose control, right? Do bubbles and glitter Bubbles? <laughs> I'm addicted to... Okay, SpongeBob. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't use that too often. Do I? No, that's... <laughs> All right. So a simple life isn't, <laughs> an addicted life is not a simple life. So reject anything that produces an addiction in you. And you might have to test this. You might have to test it. You might have to come to something that you think might be an addiction in your life and try and give it up and see how much your heart palpitates and your hands sweat when you think about doing it. Ties in with last week's message, actually. This is another hard one. Harder for some than others. 
Develop a habit of giving things away. <laughs> Develop a habit of giving things away. My dad, I wish he was here. Doggone it, they're up watching my nephew play the state little league baseball tournament. When I was a kid, my dad would save like scraps of two by four like that. <laughs> just pile them up. It's like this whole, it's like, it's like a whole tree just piled up in scrap chunks of two by four. Oh, I might use these one of these days. <laughs> like, like, you at least use them for firewood. We could be thrifty that way. Oh no, that's a two by four. Somebody cut that, planed it down to size. We got to keep that. Uh, I don't even think you could give that away, actually, now that I think of it. I know, right? I know, right? You can tell him. You can listen to the recording. Do you have an abundance of something? Start there. Give some of it away. There are all sorts of people that could probably put it to good use. There are probably some people that need things desperately that you have an abundance of. I mean, we say silly slogans that are so true, like it's more blessed to give than receive. But we don't always live it. So apparently, it's, well, it's more blessed to give than receive. It's more blessed to keep than, and hoard than give? I don't know. Once you've given it to me, I ain't giving it up. <laughs> right, there you go. Yeah. You ever been re-gifted? You ever re-gift? Oh, yeah. That's beautiful. I love the re-gift. Like, we've had a family member that has received and been re-gifted the same item, but not from the person that they gifted it to. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Isn't that beautiful? So develop this habit, if you want to live a simple life, which you really should, of giving things away. Um, just a couple more. Enjoy things that you don't have to own. Yeah, that's great. Absolutely less maintenance. Hey, can we come over to your house and go swimming? <laughs> yes! Okay. Can we come over to your house and eat your food? Yes! Okay. <laughs> can we come over and just borrow your kids? <laughs> yes! We just popped over. Happens we do this every time at dinner time. It's beautiful. I like it. Actually, what I had in mind were things just like, like creation. Like we took our kids to the Great Wolf Lodge for Noah's birthday, and it was a blast. But part of my time there, I'm thinking, this is really strange. It's really strange that we like have all these water apparatus in an enclosed building when there are all sorts of water things that we can just do for free <laughs> in God's green earth. <laughs> no, that's right. Unlimited ice cream, yeah. Noah got unlimited ice cream. It was awesome. It was so awesome. He didn't just get it for himself. He got it for his soul. We had an abundance of ice cream. Noah shared it. <laughs> but there's so much in God's green earth to enjoy. We have people that come to the RV park that actually stay at the RV park and they drive their car from like Mount Rainier to Mount St. Helens. 
and they, they travel all the way from the other side of the country just to see the beauty of what we have here, things that I haven't seen. Right? <laughs> What's up with that? There's gorgeous stuff. It doesn't cost us anything other than to travel to get there. As a matter of fact, I can just actually... Has anybody ever walked out to, or driven out to and then walked around the Mima Mounds? You know what I'm talking about? There, it's really cool. You can learn so much about... Well, you can be confused so much about God's creation, honestly, because nobody knows how they got there. But, or, or just go into Capital Forest. There's so much that we can do. We can enjoy things that we don't have to own. All right. Yeah, right. Prehistoric gopher mounds. I know. Those are some huge, they're like this big, some of them are maybe bigger. Those are some huge gophers, man. Anyway, who knows? Aliens, I think. <laughs> Maybe, maybe do this. There's a few others here, but I'm just going to skip down to the bottom. Just ask yourself if you have things in your life that are just purely a distraction from seeking first the kingdom of God. Or maybe they're just habits in your life that actually inspire you to amass stuff instead of be generous with your stuff. A life of simplicity teaches us what is of true value. One of the things that doesn't cost us anything that I didn't mention is a conversation with the person you're sitting next to. It costs you a little bit of time you talk about something of true value, the relationships that we have with one another. Because at the end of the day, you all are the kingdom's treasure. You are the thing of earth that God values more than anything else. It's through relationships that we have with one another that we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. I am entirely convinced that those treasures, we don't get there and we have like a pile of iPhone 4s, 5s, 6s, 7s, 8s, 9s, and 10s waiting for us. (laughs) We instead have a rich, vast, diverse group of people that come up to us and say, wow, it was great to know you and it's going to be great to know you for the rest of eternity. Remember, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Seek first the kingdom of God. Go and simply give so that you can simply live. Amen.